This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer. I'm Sterling Fox, and in just a few moments, Johnny Smartpoint. John Carlson will return with a fresh look at Metro Vancouver real estate. But first, here are some more of this week's top consumer stories. A growing number of doctors now say the antihistamine Benadryl is less effective and less safe than newer alternatives. A position statement from the Canadian Society of Allergy and Immunology published uh, in October warns against Benadryl. Benadryl and other first-generation H1 antihistamines as first-line treatments for hay fever and hives. Now, doctors now say the medicinal ingredient in Benadryl makes you drowsy and irritable, and if you take too high a dose or an overdose, you will end up in a hospital. The group of doctors say the medication is overused because of its easy availability and that it should be restricted to behind-the-counter access in pharmacies. The docs point to newer generation H1 antihistamines, brand names like Reactin, Claritin, and Arius, which are safer, more effective, and work more quickly. Some doctors are even going so far as to say they're dumbfounded that people still want to use Benadryl. And still with the medical file, more than 460 million people, as in 1 in 11 adults, now suffer from diabetes, largely brought on by an over-rich lifestyle short on exercise. The International National Diabetes Federation said in Paris on Thursday the current number of 463 million sufferers will jump another 100 million in 10 years and by another 250 million in 30 years, posing huge challenges for treatment and management of diabetes, which is already a top 10 killer worldwide. The report shows an increase of 38 million cases over its previous study in 2017 and noted, and this is disturbing, that just over half, 51% of adult diabetes sufferers are undiagnosed. The rising prevalence of diabetes is a real cause for concern, say the researchers and the members of the International Diabetes Federation, especially when you consider the high number of people who remain undiagnosed. They estimate the health cost around the world for diabetes alone in 2019 to be about $750 billion. Our next guest will appreciate this story, as John is quite a car guy. Ferrari's new car is pretty sweet. It's called the Roma, and car industry analysts are calling it the Ferrari for rich people who are afraid of Ferraris. The Italian automaker says the Roma Coupe was designed to evoke the carefree Roman lifestyle of the 1950s and 60s known as La Dolce Vita. The 2 plus 2 door features a sleek, clean style aimed at competing against luxury touring cars like Aston Martin. It is powered by a 612 horsepower twin turbocharged V8 that'll do 0 to 62 in 3 seconds and a top speed over a 199 miles an hour. The Roma was designed, quote, for people who would like to drive a sports car or a Ferrari, but are afraid of Ferrari and sports cars. Close quote. This is from the one of the directors of Ferrari at the Rome unveiling the other day. The price for this car? 
220,000 U.S. when it goes on sale next summer. 612 horsepower, indeed. Oh, and have you ever had your luggage misplaced while traveling? It doesn't happen often, and it's usually a mistake, except when it isn't, as was the case with an angry baggage handler at Changi Airport in Singapore. The handler was working in a baggage detail when a machine broke down, forcing him to carry heavy bags a further distance than planned. This lasted for weeks. The worker got frustrated and started swapping the tags on the bags. Turns out he did it to a lot of people, too. 285 people complained to the point where the two major airlines affected by this had to pay compensation to 221 customers, totaling over 30000 bucks. The baggage handler was charged with 20 counts of mischief and has to serve 20 days in jail for his temper tantrum after confessing to what he called inconveniencing his employer because he was upset. His lawyer asked for a conditional discharge. The judge disagreed, saying the worker had control over his actions and they were not trivial. If you're on holiday and your bags don't show up, it's not trivial. That's a look at some more of the week's top consumer stories. We'll check a few more later in the hour, too. But coming right up... Johnny Smartpoint, John Carlson on deck with a Metro Vancouver real estate update next on Vancouver Consumer here on CKNW. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer this Saturday afternoon. I'm Sterling Fox, joined in studio by John Carlson, Personal Real Estate Corporation. Johnny Smartpoint is in the house. Welcome back. Good to see you. Thank you. It's always great to be here with you, Sterling. Well, it's it's not the greatest weather on earth, but you know, it's not snowing and the rest of Canada is pretty socked in for winter. Here on the West Coast, we're lucky in our little lotus land, John. And you've been predicting for the past many months on this program that activity in the housing market is going to pick up in the final quarter of 2019. And by gosh, and you've been saying this since the spring when things were a lot flatter than a typical spring. And yet you've you've held this confidence that the momentum would return to the marketplace. And uh, the marketplace is uh, kind of bearing your prediction out rather nicely, wouldn't you say? I think so. And, uh, you know, the evidence was there that the greater Vancouver and Fraser Valley real estate markets were not uh, going uh, completely down the drain, yeah. obviously. And, uh, you know, yeah, we, we talked a little bit about this over the year that people get tired of waiting and they assess the situation. I, and I think one of the big things is, you know, policy, uh, there was some shocks there. Oh, sure. But it balanced out a little bit. And prices, yes, they adjusted. But the market went from being a big black hole that buyers were scared to jump into for a while to something that's a lot more reassuring. And as a result, we're seeing more people stepping up in terms of the numbers of sales. Uh, prices aren't skyrocketing, but they're certainly solidifying in a lot of these segments where the good inventory is getting eaten up. So we've seen uh, September, October, November, I think it'll carry right through till, you know, the, the mid to end December time where we're going to have a pretty good market. After that, usually the market will take a little bit of a nap and it's kind of, I think it's a little too early to tell exactly what the spring will bring. Right. Um, but all indications are that, you know, the, mar- the real estate market has gone through a little bit of an adjustment time and it's starting to rebalance itself. Okay. And correction, that's a good word. The bankers like to use uh, for a, a, a downturn in prices. And that has occurred over the summer into the fall. We've seen prices level off and come off to a certain extent. But you just mentioned moments ago, that's finite. That's not going to go on forever. Has it already slowed down or even leveled off and stopped in some housing sectors yet, John? 
Yeah, I've actually seen some some upticks in certain uh, markets. Um, affordable segments, again, sure. are the ones where there's a lot of buyers that have the ability to soak up the inventory that's on the market and start driving prices up a little bit. And again, I'm not talking about uh, the old days of frenzy, mm-hmm. but uh, when numbers come down and down and down and then there starts to be some traction and buyers start to buy up the available inventory, you see things like multiple offers once in a while again. Um, the ones I've seen are not over list price necessarily, but you have people... Uh, attracted to and uh, trying to acquire the good listings. Again, listings that are not priced so well, or if they're not priced well and don't show well, they got virtually no chance. Yeah. It's that kind of a market. Buyers are picky. We're fussy out there when we're comparison shopping now because you know, we couldn't be for a while, and I think now we are again. So the good listings... Yes, they've rebounded a little bit in price. Uh, the price is solidified. And I think even more significantly than prices maybe inching up a little bit here and there in different segments is the fact that the ground under us in these segments has solidified. And there are people out there. It's no longer a, hey, will I sell even if I'm priced right? I don't know. Right. It's come down to a you know, situation where a seller can say, hey, look, if, if I want to be reasonable in terms of price and I want to you know, have a good agent represent me and, and uh, have my product polished up and looking good on the market so that it's attractive... I'm confident that I can get good offers on the property, I can sell it, and I can go out and I can find another property that I like and I can make a smooth transition. And that, to me, is a little bit more significant than any bumps in price. You have uh, confidence on the market if you're priced well and positioned well. Yeah, interesting, because your your Johnny Smart Point is the handle, and it's also the web address, friends, johnnysmartpoint.com. But you also talk about something called the success zone. You've talked about it on this program before, and it's all about pricing, and it's in that smart point. The success zone is the smart point. It's, a, it's a, almost synonymous. But how does one know if they're in that range? How do, how, how do you tell? How, for example, uh, how compulsory should it be for anyone seriously contemplating a sale to, to not take another step further until there's an evaluation? Well, you need to get an evaluation for sure, and sometimes more than one opinion. You know, right. It's never a bad idea. And to address your question, I think it was a really good one. You know, I tell people, when you ask me, you know, what is the smart point? What is the success zone? Mm-hmm. Well, I or another agent could come in and tell you your home was worth a million five. But if it's not comparing well to other homes in its segment in that price range and it doesn't sell, it doesn't really matter what I say. My job is to try to interpret the market. And, uh, you know, so I try to give people good advice that way so they can be as successful as they need to be Mm -hmm. in the market. But the market does speak for itself. Um, So I could say something, another agent could say something, but if you have 30 or 40 showings in in, in four weeks, let's just say, and everybody says, oh, the road's too noisy and the power lines are right there Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, the building needs a new roof, these sorts of things, what they're really saying is it's not competitive enough for us to make an offer to try to acquire this property. So the market does speak for itself, and my job is to help people understand the market well enough so they can position realistically. Well, and you talk, and you've been saying so for for years on this show, today's consumer is a very educated human being. They take the time to do good homework. And, of course, in the real estate sector, that homework is readily available with all of the websites and all of the routes that one can take to find out. So if you're sitting around and you're contemplating a sale and you've been sitting on your hands for a while. You didn't like the downturn, but as John mentioned moments ago, things are leveling off, starting to come back in some quarters. Uh, and, and, and you're, you say, okay, so I'm going to do some homework here. I'm going to find houses in my neighborhood that are the same vintage and roughly the same condition, and I'm going to take an average of what all of those prices are, and that's going to be my price. And, and 
That's what they do. That's that's good homework, John. Yes. But it's not enough, is it? Well, probably not. Um, and it's good to have enough interest and have enough available information to start putting together some ideas of value. Absolutely. But calling in a professional's, you know, never a bad idea mm-hmm. um, either. And, uh, you know, when it comes to these things, I find that the role of an agent has changed a little bit since I started 23 years ago when there was very little information. There were paper catalogs That's out right. There. That's and, right. And, you know, we'd take a pen and mark in the sale price. We'd carry this book around and get a new one and update it and cut and paste and all that stuff. Not not cut and paste like some of these younger guys. No, no, no. no. Actual glue. That's and scissors. <laughs> I remember those days. Uh, but, you know, in those days, they didn't have as much information. And now today, consumers are more empowered, which sure. is awesome, which is wonderful. And it's getting uh, more and more that way all the time. But the role of an agent no longer is really the gatekeeper of information. I don't open up my, you know, coat sleeve and say, hey, here's the sales. I mm-hmm. can show you the sales. Well, people have some access to this information. But I think a good agent, again, becomes a little bit more of an interpreter of this information. Because right. there's a lot out there and a lot of it can be conflicting. And old information sometimes is no information at all. And incorrect information also doesn't generally help. So when I go and sit down with people, I try to bring all the information I can. I keep an open mind, of course, and I listen to the, you know, the potential seller about their property. But in the end, my job, one of my first jobs is to give them good advice in terms of pricing. What will likely work? What likely won't work? If their target is a little bit higher than maybe the market might bear, then the question comes up, well, how can we achieve this? Can we improve the property? Are there other things we can add to the equation that might help a seller mm. you know, get the kind of numbers that they want? So we look at all these things. And you and- also do something that uh, a typical homeowner perhaps doesn't understand how to do in the context of the negotiation, the back and forth, and that's called defending a property. If you, if right. you say, we're going, we're, going to, we're going to ask X for this property, and people are going to come to the door and go, well, yeah, but no, we don't think it's worth X. Defending that price is a kind of an art almost, John, and there are, there are skilled ways to do it. Talk about that a little bit. There, there definitely are, and this is you know, really the crunch time, I think, where a good agent or professional uh, or good advice to a, to a seller can really pay off. Um, because I tell my sellers right now, we have to defend our price. You can take any property in any segment right now and price it well. In other words, right where it should be. Mm-hmm. And chances are you're still going to get offers that are lower, sometimes significantly lower right. than that. As, as, and buyers are playing that game right now. Let's lowball them and see what happens. Sure. Or, or it might even not be seen as lowballing. It might just be saying, hey, you know, the market's soft and let's test the, the motivation sure. of this seller. Okay. Property's vacant. It's this, it's that. Who knows, right? So you can never blame a buyer for wanting to get a good deal. And I work with buyers all the time. If you're listening out there thinking of buying a home and want a good agent, go to my website, look me up. I'd be happy to talk to you. But I'm telling my sellers right now, we need to be able to defend the price. And that's mainly where I come in, whether it's past sales or current trends or features of the home or even negotiating tactics themselves, which... You know, I can't get into here on the radio, most likely, but a lot of these, there are a lot of ways that you can uh, make good efforts to defend your price, and you you really need to right now, because again, buyers are going to come in a little bit soft, opportunistic, perhaps, and, uh, you know, my theory is when someone writes an offer on paper and submits it to a seller, they're already three quarters of the way in the bag. They like the house, they like the property, they like the features, it's just the terms we're talking about here. Exactly. So, my job is to help those terms get realized. Interesting stuff. Now, uh, uh, and part of uh, the, the notion of defending a price comes from the fact that those, even though we may agree completely with the evaluation that you provide, the last time we did this was, uh, well, 2004. And before that, it was 99. And we do this maybe in a typical homeowner's lifetime four, maybe five, maybe even a half a dozen times. You do this several times a day. 
this is what you do for a living, and you've been doing this for two dozen years. Yes. So defending a price and understanding what that concept involves is, is it's pretty sophisticated. And if you only do it once every, on average, five years, you're not going to be as agile and nimble as you're going to need to be when you're talking seven-figure numbers. That's right. Um, and again, that's why a good professional, whoever it might be, in your corner is, is really key. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the market changes and conditions change. And, uh, you know, when a listing is on the market, you, even a good listing, you don't get unlimited kicks at the can. You get an offer, maybe it doesn't go together, maybe you get another one the next day or the next week or two weeks later. Uh, eventually, if you've had five or six or ten offers and your listing's three months old, you know, like it starts to get a little bit more difficult. So uh, when offers come in, the first step in my mind is I want to see if I can put this together to the satisfaction of my clients. Sometimes sure. it's not possible. And if it's not possible, next, you move on to the next one. That's business. Uh, but, you know, having a good ability to uh, close a deal and get the right terms for your seller, I think is really key when it comes to making your sellers happy, of course, and, uh, and maximizing their, you know, their take home investment. I mean, this is a huge investment and not, you know, we'll talk about this in the second segment, but the other part of the smart point is your commission structure. Absolutely. How do you maximize the money in your pocket? Um, so it's a big deal when you get an offer in, you have to treat it that way and you have to do everything you can to make that offer work while at the same time, remembering that the seller is the ultimate decider, if you will, of sure. what happens. My job is to advise. And uh, sometimes the advice is, hey, this offer might not be the best. These people might not be the people for the home. Maybe we should just look toward the next offer and go from there. Interesting. How about timing? It's uh, how, how where are you at here? Um, second weekend of November. Christmas is uh, coming up fast. Uh, American Thanksgiving is close. Uh, have we passed the threshold for 2019, John? Now do we have to park it and wait till 2020 before we put the sign on the front lawn. It's all about timing, and none of us know anything about timing, and yet many of us want to buy and sell homes. Yes, and that's a great question because I'm, I'm getting that a lot now. People might call me and say, oh, you know, gee, it's middle of November, yeah. and uh, we know that Christmas comes towards the end of December, and things will probably slow down. You know, what do you think about timing? Yeah. And it it kind of depends on the situation. Um, if, For instance, if you had a, a property that you really needed to invest some time into and maybe a little bit of money to get it into market-ready shape, well, you know, you might burn through the next three or four weeks and, you know, list the house in mid-December and that's probably not the best time. However, if you have a property that is uh, ready, looks good, and you want to put it on the market today or this week mm -hmm. uh, at a price that's in the reasonable range, you're going to get action because the number of listings in some segments is somewhat limited and buyers are out there and they're serious. So it kind of depends on the situation. Another thing to consider is if you're selling and buying again, well, gee, if you sell in December or January and you're out there looking as a buyer, there might not be as many listings as you'd like to see. So it goes into you know the whole discussion, timing and, and all that stuff goes into the discussion I have with potential clients. And uh, that is a question I get quite a bit. Only a couple of seconds before the news break. What's the hottest housing sector in Metro Vancouver these days? I, you know, there are a couple of them. I think that affordable detached houses have really bounced back um, after being maybe a little overinflated in some buyer's eyes. Affordable townhomes and strata properties. Um, so I guess the affordable segments in general and newer properties and good condition properties would be the hottest. John Carlson, johnnysmartpoint.com and lots more on Metro Vancouver real estate after the news.
Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer this Saturday afternoon on CKNW. I'm Sterling Fox. Johnny Smartpoint, John Carlson is in the house talking Metro Vancouver real estate. And John, just before the news break, you were touching on some of the the hot sectors in Metro Vancouver real estate. Uh, Are though, you talked about single detached homes and also townhouses. And are they hot because prices have come off uh, enough to make them slightly more attractive to buyers? Or are they hot because prices have already started to go back up. I think they're, and I, I want to be careful using hot because uh, the market is not overheated by of any, course, by of any means. But yeah, they're definitely in demand and that would be an active segment. And I think uh, the reason that affordable detached houses and say townhomes are affordable is they're somewhat limited in supply. And when they're on the affordable range, there's a very large group of potential buyers who may have considered moving or selling or buying in March or April or May or June, but the market was scary and they stayed away. Yes. So now they're re-entering that market, again, in numbers, which is what helps solidify prices or even drive them up. And they're to a degree, competing for the cream of the crop when it comes to supply. So uh, higher-end homes don't have that surge of people suddenly jumping in, the big, big numbers, and they're still, you know, perhaps somewhat um, uh, volatile or vulnerable right. to price adjustments. And we're still seeing some prices come up, but then again, this is $20 million down to seventeen five. You know, for the most yeah. of us, it's still fantasy land, but at that extreme high end, it, it's much more volatile, isn't it? I think so, yeah. Uh, but again, consumer confidence has definitely rebounded. There have been a number of reports. We talked about one a couple of weeks ago from CMHC yes, yeah. where they predicted that, you know, maybe in this in 2020, the market might rebound in some segments and prices might go up in 2021. And, you know, these forecasts, again, I think it's a little early for me to make up my mind. There's a lot of unknown variables. Uh, you know, we have the stress test, which may or may not change or go away. Uh, we have, um, you know, a provincial government that has policies in place and may could at any time introduce new ones if they feel like curtailing you know, the true. real estate market. Uh, and then we just have overall economic conditions that would, uh, you know, play a part in buyer's confidence and consumer confidence. So it's a little early to say from my point of view, I'm not making any calls about the spring, but if I, uh, you know, I, I think that the market's good right now. And uh, my guess would be that we're not going to lose much steam, if any, when the market takes off again in February. No, here's a, here's a prediction you and I can very safely make. And this comes courtesy of the senior engineer at the Metro Vancouver Water Department, who was a guest on this program a couple of months ago, and who whose job, his job, is to plan for the future, for the future people of Vancouver. And so they use a figure of 35000 every year. Yes. So as they plan towards, you know, 2025, 2030 and so on, in terms of having water, an abundant supply ready for all right. of those more people, their their flat number is 35,000. So with great confidence, you and I can sit here in mid-November and predict easily that 35,000 people are going to move into Metro Vancouver in yes. 2020. That's Period. right. Period. Full stop. That's a given. That's right. And I think that's one of the main reasons that, say, a real estate doomsayer is not really in the right city if you're, if you're trying to do that. And, you know, there are some people who have called for the market to collapse, the bubble to burst and all these things. Oh, sure. But that's one of the biggest reasons right there. We're a desirable place to live politically. Uh, we talked about the weather. We might complain, but uh, it's a heck of a lot better than some of our uh, fellow Canadians get to experience. So, 
there's a lot of reasons why people will be here. And I'm always positive long-term on real estate in Greater Vancouver. And I keep my, uh, my ear to the ground and my eyes open to make sure I recognize what trends are going on today so that I can best help people who want to buy or sell. Yeah, so far locally, the snowblowers are still in the sheds, aren't they, John? You You've been very busy. You've only, it's only been a couple of weeks, two or three weeks since you were last uh, paid a visit to Vancouver Consumer. And you've been just going flat out. And so yes. that would indicate that it's certainly with a 2% realty and a broker like yourself, well-known, uh, that uh, there's no shortage of activity. This, I would see as a positive. I have been flat out in the last couple of weeks, several sales of listings um, you know, that I've had and a couple of buyers I'm working with right now as well. Um, yeah, so the market's there and I'm, I'm fortunate. You know, I have good clients. People you know, call me, they want to save some money on commissions compared to most of the competition. But I think if I read people right, what people have been telling me lately is, you know, in this kind of market, I need good, good advice. I need someone who is, uh, I can trust and someone uh, who will guide me through this process to the best possible result. And, and that's really where uh, you know, a lot of my referrals and things come from. But it doesn't hurt when you say, people money either compared That's, to the competition. Absolutely. Let's uh, speaking of clients of John's, Ben had a conversation with Wendy a couple of days ago and here are some of Wendy's thoughts about working with John Carlson. Any questions we had, he addressed immediately. There was no waiting. He when I called him, he was willing to talk and just give me any information I needed, helped us um, prepare the house and what we needed to do to sell our home. So he was answered any of our questions, and no questions were dumb questions. He made you feel like you were the number one priority for him. We bought two houses, and we prior to meeting John, and we never had the service that we had with John. He is loyal to his customers, and he will tell you how it is, and inform you of what he thinks is appropriate things to do, and doesn't take offense if you say, no, I want to do this. He works with you, and I would highly recommend him. I, I don't think I'd ever use anybody else. I know I wouldn't use anybody else. Oh, there's Wendy, <laughs> and to give us some specifics about uh, her story, what sort of property did you help Wendy sell? Wow, I'm, I'm still just basking in it. You know, I don't hear these testimonials before they come well, on the radio. You know, and John, <laughs> the, the sign of a smart person is when you say, there's no such thing as a dumb question. Right. And that's, that, that's so good on you. So tell us about Wendy. Wow. Well, working with Wendy uh, and Dan was a great experience. Um, like always in any deal, there were challenges. I mean, getting the house ready and showing it off in its best state. There were a lot of facets to this property. Uh, single needed, family, uh, single family home, home. Okay. Yeah, with some things, uh, you what know, shop. Of, what part of the area? This is a house in Maple Ridge, okay. actually. And uh, this, uh, yeah, so uh, there were some things to prepare. And uh, there was a lot to wrap. There was a bit of a renovation going on, and there was a lot to wrap your head around from a buyer's point of view. So we had to make sure to be able to present that in a way that people could uh, grasp it and uh, you know monetize, basically figure things out. So there was a little bit of work there to do, but man, it was great uh, working with Wendy. I was referred by uh, she was referred to me by someone else I'd worked with who said give John a call. So I want to say thank you, Wendy and Dan and. Um, it was great working for you. I'd love to repeat this process. As you said, I've been really busy lately and mm-hmm. I've had several listings sell and I'm down to not that many listings. I'm definitely available. Uh, if people want to give me a call, I'd love to repeat this experience and, and make some other sellers happy and just carry on doing a good job at what I do. So if you go to my website or give me a call if you like. And, uh, uh, you know, Wendy and Dan, that, that was just a great testimonial and I really appreciate it. Indeed. Uh, the number, by the way, friends, is 604 612 0080. Again, 604 612 
1-800-270-0080. If you didn't get a chance to jot it down, I'll repeat it a little later on. Uh, but talking about, uh, I, I, this, this is from the website, by the way, friends, from johnnysmartpoint.com. At 2% Realty West Coast, we believe in giving our clients the full real estate experience, yet allowing them to keep more of their investment, which is what Wendy just said. You gave her absolutely every service that any realtor could have possibly given, yep. and yet she saved some more money. Yeah, and we have to be careful in, in saving money. I, when, I, when I tell people I'm saving money, I compare the commission structure that I offer compared to the most typical one out there in long-lasting 7% of the first 100000 and two and a half of the balance. Right. That's what you see in a lot of places, but there are other business models, and, and I've worked under other business models, and you know, each season kind of represents its own opportunity when it comes to that sort of thing, and part of the smart point um, that I try to give people is again people they want the full service there's no point in you know cutting service to get a better price sometimes right. in a lot of industries if you save money you shoot yourself in the foot because you get a poor product mm-hmm. and that's not what i offer uh so again compared to the majority of the competition out there i do save people money like for instance i was looking at a few of the sales uh, a house in maple ridge and this is just in the last two weeks right? this is just in the last couple of weeks when okay. i look at say wendy's home house uh, needed a little bit of work in the maple ridge area seven hundred thousand dollar range 2% commission, 14000 Now, if you were with one of the seven and two and a half companies, that would be 22000 So it's a savings of about 35%. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I worked with Bonnie recently in White Rock, a house that was just over a million dollars. Again, typical, or if there is a typical, or that's under seven and two and a half, would be about almost 30000 That's right. And, uh, you know, we're 20000 at that million dollar range. So again, you're looking at about a 35% savings. I want to congratulate Graham and Jacinta. We may hear from them next week. This is a house in Maple Ridge, an executive home at 1.2 range. And you know, close to a $35,000 commission. They were quoted by some companies and we did it for 24. So, you know, 2% of the sale price. So sure. the smart point for me is helping people, uh, position their home, get it ready, have it looking as good as they can, price it appropriately so they can maximize the results, but also save them some money compared to most of the commissions. And there are other commission structures out there that aim to, to save maybe 60 or 70% of the commission compared to seven and two and a half. And, you know, people can uh, offer any business model, and I'm not here to criticize, I'm just here to say, for my business model, I think it's the smart place to be. Uh, trying to save in this kind of market, back in the market 2016, it might have been a little bit easier, but if you try to remember, commissions are paid by the listing brokerage, so you have to get the other agents and those buyers on board as well. Right. And, uh, you know, sometimes if you try to uh, go t- too low in that regard, I found that there was a lot of turbulence maybe in the deal. So, and in the end, everything's negotiable, so commissions may get negotiated. Um, so, again, the smart point to me is this is a business model that I think maximizes your investment. And and this is, uh, you know, uh, well, a person, an agent that will be able to give you good advice and stick by your side, as Wendy said, and make sure you do it right. Despite the suspicion, and we as consumers are pretty conditioned to this, John, because we've had it drilled into us for a long, long time. If you pay less, expect less. That's a consumer axiom that we're all pretty comfortable with, except when it comes to real estate, because it's just not applicable as automatically as it might be in another area. That's right. A service industry might be different than developing a widget. Right. I mean, I've compared it to automobiles before. If, uh, if someone was selling a Toyota Camry, a dealership for $30,000, it would be awfully hard to sell it for $20,000 and make any money. Right. You know, there's only so many margins. So I think it comes down to the agent and the business model. There are all kinds of different agents. Some agents specialize in very high-end executive properties, yep. and they have a different business model than I do in terms probably of volume and, and the way they go about things. My uh, really niche is 
young families, older families, retirees, upsizing, downsizers, basically residential resale. I don't spend my time sitting in a development for developer. Right. I'm out there talking to home sellers and buyers and helping them maximize their sale, coordinate a purchase, get a good deal on a purchase, giving them good advice the whole way. So there's my pitch to the listeners out there. If you're anywhere in Greater Vancouver and Fraser Valley and you're looking at selling a property or buying a property, a residential property, look me up, give me a call. And especially if you're looking to do all of that, uh, and save yourself some money because those of us I mentioned that a typical homeowner might in a in, over a lifespan move a half a dozen times, make a half a dozen home purchases, yes. and each and every time it happens, and I've been there, done that. You always are shocked by how much more a move costs than you imagined it would. Yes, and so if you're able to save a nice chunk of change out of your otherwise would have been spent on commission, that's just a little extra maneuvering room, you have to make that move, that surprisingly expensive move, a little less painful. Yes, and, and again, commission is part of the package. Sure. If you had, uh, if I charged a very low commission, but I didn't provide good results, you know, that wouldn't be very good. Or maybe if I was a, a good agent at what I did, but my commission structures were just kind of crazy and too high, people might not want to work with me either that way. Or maybe if I had a good commission structure, but I didn't know what I was doing, you know, you have to have the whole package together. And again, that's what the smart point. I'm one of the top producing agents in Greater Vancouver year after year. President's Club. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I give good advice. I'm client-focused. And I help people make good decisions. So in the process, if I save them money, they're generally happy about that. And that's that's what keeps me going. Any new listings to talk about, busy guy? You've, uh, you've been awfully busy out there just uh, selling the existing catalog. Anything new to tell us about this weekend? Well, I've got a new one. Uh, it's just about to be submitted today. It's a one-bedroom condo in Fremont Village in Port Coquitlam. Oh, I know where it is. Sure. Yeah, new new place. A part of the amenities package is amazing. You've got swimming pools, weight rooms, uh, gyms, meeting. It's, real, it's really nice there. There's trails along the river. And and uh, this one is a one bedroom, and the list price is four twenty-five. It's tenanted. It can be rented, so investors are welcome. Mm-hmm. There's my newest listing. Just going to hit today. Go to my website and check it out. JohnnySmartPoint.com, friends. That's where you'll find all the new listings, and you'll find the all-important contact points for our friend Mr. Carlson. Uh, number one on that list being the phone number. Let me give it to you again, in case you didn't get a chance to jot it down earlier. It's six zero four six one two. 0080. Give him a couple more minutes here and then he's free to uh, take your call. 604-612-0080. The website address again is johnnysmartpoint.com and on that about halfway down the homepage there's the grid and it's all spelled out for you in black and white. Your property and approximate listing numbers of valued properties anywhere from 300,000 up to a million. Uh, pick, pick one that's close to where you think you're going to end up and then it shows you what the commission structure is and you'll see how much money you can save. John Carlson, we're out of time. You can activate your phone now. I'm ready. Thanks, Sterling. We're back after this. And once again, our thanks to John Carlson for another very informative visit. Next week, we'll hear from the Surrey Hospital Foundation and the people from WorkSafe BC will be back as well. Time now for Duly Noted. And this time around, our producer, Ben Dooley, has a look at BC's new vaping regulations. Thanks, Sterling. British Columbia will significantly hike the provincial sales tax. 
on vaping products and strictly limit their nicotine content in an effort to crack down on youth vaping. Health Minister Adrian Dix, Finance Minister Carol James, and Education Minister Rob Fleming announced the province's 10-point plan on Thursday. James said the new tax rate would hike the PST on vape products from 7% to 20%. Yes, it is a big tax jump, and one that really signifies the urgency of this problem. The tax hike, which will also include a two-cent hike on tobacco, will require legislation to enact and would be the first tax of its kind in Canada. The plan would also see nicotine content in vaping products limited to 20 milligrams per milliliter. It will also strictly regulate the sale of flavored vape products. Flavoring appealing to youth will be banned outright, while other flavors will only be available in adult-only stores. I'm Ben Dooley, and that's Dooley Noted. Thanks, Ben. Time for a couple more consumer quickies before we go. Vancouver has been ranked the fifth most beautiful city in the world by travel website Flight Network. The company says it developed this list of the top 50 beautiful cities with input from more than a 1,000 travel journalists, bloggers, and agents. The listing praises Vancouver as an amazing place to visit, from its bustling metropolitan area to lush forests and pristine beaches, and talks about popular tourist hotspots like Granville Island, local breweries, English Bay and the Capilano Suspension Bridge. They also talk about the city's significant Chinese cultural presence with nods to cuisine, festivals, and Chinatown. And they add, quote, Vancouver is also the most densely populated city in Canada, making it a city of significant economic and cultural importance to the country as a whole. The top five finish puts Vancouver in pretty plush company. The city found itself behind Paris in first place, followed by New York, London, and Venice, obviously before the flooding. The the only other Canadian cities to make the list were Toronto at 21 and Quebec City at 23rd place out of 50. Now, about another suspension bridge, this time the Lynn Canyon suspension bridge. We reported here actually about a month and a half ago that it was going to be closed for overdue repairs. Well, that closure, turns out, got postponed. But now, this time, it's for real. Our friends over at North Shore News saying the work is expected to begin this Tuesday with completion by early 2020. The bridge deck, which hasn't had an upgrade since 07, will have the same slope, width, and appearance with non-slip surface and side meshing. In the meantime, people wanting to access trails across the canyon, we're talking Lynn Canyon, uh, will have to detour either to Pipeline Bridge to the north or Twin Falls Bridge to the south. Okay, for sure, it's really closing this time, this coming Tuesday the 19th. That is Vancouver Consumer for this week, produced by Ben Dooley, Andrew Ferreira's capable hands on the controls. You can listen to this program at any time on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And you can talk to us anytime. Simply email us to sterling at cknw.com or tweet us at Van Consumer. I'm Sterling Fox, and for Ben and Andrew, we all hope you're back to join us again next Saturday at 2 for another edition of Vancouver Consumer right here on CKNW. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.